were placed on a tree. So it is because they were cursed that they were hanged on a tree. So that's the context there. So now let's get into our, our text here and uh, be remembering that. So first of all, we have to understand what is this law that we are under a curse? It says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And so I'm going to go through those, just those three points right there. The first is that that curse of the law means that we are rejected. This is the original sin we find in Genesis chapter 2, right? And we're, I'm going to look at this also in light of trees of knowledge, the tree that we see as we call it the cross, the tree of glory, I would call it, and then the tree of life. And so in Genesis 2 and 3, we see this, this tree of knowledge, and it was there, and it was around, and it witnessed the first sin, right? The original sin of Adam. And we see in Romans 5 that when Adam took the fruit of the tree of knowledge, that sin, that disobedience, caused the curse of death and separation from God, and it extends to all man, Okay? So death extends to you. And you might say, well, it's not fair. Well, the proof that it is fair is that death extends to you, and the proof of that is that you have sinned. If you had not sinned, then we could argue maybe that. But it is fair. Death extends to you. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So, what happened after that fall? There was a curse on the land, and what did the land start producing? Thorns, right? So there's a curse on on, on the people, there's a rejection, death has come upon people, spiritual, physical death, but also the land itself was cursed. And this is a locust tree thorn, I brought a whole branch here just so you guys can see how wicked these trees are. I have these all throughout my property. They're not fun. And these have actual thorns growing on the thorns. It's that bad. Okay? They're just not fun to deal with. But it's a reminder, a visible reminder of the curse that we have to deal with. And uh, some of you know Stan Crater. He came out with his skid steer and showed me how to take the skid steer and uproot these whole trees, pick them up and just dump them into a burn pile. And I thought, well, that's dominion right there, right, over the land. But, but these things pop up all the time, and sometimes the big ones are not the worst. Little raspberry bushes, right, blackberry bushes, the little thorns, they can hurt. But it's a visual reminder of that curse that's on the land. So continue to follow through here with me. Thorns are the visible reminder of the curse on us and the land, and death has extended to you. But that's not all, right? It says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. And so with that original sin, that disobedience, God's wrath on sin, there needed to be justice, there needed to be atonement, payment for that sin. And therefore, Christ became a curse for us taking on that role to atone. It says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That is how he redeemed us. 
And so we are rescued from the curse through Christ's death. His righteousness extends to you. So where death extends to you, also his righteousness extends to you, covering that guilt. This is on the tree of glory, the cross that we see. And then, what was placed on his head? Jesus became a curse, and a visible reminder of the curse was placed on his head, that crown of thorns. It wasn't just a painful thing to put on his head. It was a visual representation of that curse, and it was placed on his head, And what happened? He was hung on a tree. You guys remember what our context is? His body was the propitiation or payment that satisfied God's wrath against his unfaithful covenant people, making atonement for their covenant crimes and redeeming them from the law's curse through his death and burial. You guys remember originally the hanging body of the criminal was the propitiation or payment that satisfied God's wrath against the sinner, making atonement for the crime and redeeming his people and the land from the curse through that particular death and burial. This is a really full of significance and meaning, and I don't even have time to get into all of the different rabbit trails and all the different um, parallel passages, but it's amazing, the symbolism, but don't think about just the death of Christ as just something that happened for you. That is true. Christ died for you. We need, to, we need to really appreciate this by understanding that ultimately, principally, Christ died for God. We were the beneficiaries. Yes, it's true. Christ died for us. I mean, we can read verse after verse that says, Christ died for you. We are the ones. Our sin, Christ died to cover our sin. But God, it says in 2 Corinthians 2.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So David Platt writes it this way, if I would appreciate the blood of Christ, I must accept God's valuation of it, for the blood is not primarily for me, but for God. It was required to appease the wrath of God. And that is the most important thing that we need to understand is that it satisfied God. Barnhouse writes it this way, the most important fact about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is that God the Father is satisfied with it. And we have, tonight we sang about that. It is finished, it is final. God is satisfied with it. And that is the the neat thing about when you look at this context of the the criminal hung on a tree, before the end of the day, they were to be buried. They were to be put under the ground and thought of no more. That crime was no longer to be held against them. And when Jesus Christ was buried, the Lord God laid on him the iniquity of us all and it was paid for. No longer to be held on our account. His righteousness extends to you. As we follow kind of this curse and what happened in Genesis, and as a visual reminder, we see it today. Jesus Christ bore it on his head as a visual reminder. One day there will be no more thorns. There will be no more curse. And this is 
what we look at when Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, we have something to look forward to. He will restore everything. There will be no more cursed, no more cursedness. This newness we read about in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 5. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the heavens saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And we continue in, verse, in chapter 22. He describes the river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was what? The tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And listen to this. There shall be no more curse. We first read about the curse in Genesis. Now we see that there will be no more curse. There will be no more separation from God, no more death, no thorns, no visual reminder of that curse. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them sunlight and they shall reign forever and ever. That is what we have to look forward to as we are restored. That newness extends to you. The other thing to think about here is that, remember how the land was cursed? And in our context, we look at how the criminal was taken down before the end of the day so that the land would not be defiled as God's dwelling place. When we see Christ's work on the cross, he was taken down, he was buried, but you see how the sin that he took upon himself was the sin of the whole world. It wasn't for his crime. It was for the crimes of the entire world. And so therefore, in the same way that the promised land, the dwelling place of God was no longer defiled, now the whole world, the whole earth is now not defiled. It is free. It is open. It is now God's dwelling place. And he lives within his church through his Holy Spirit. So no longer does God only dwell in his holy land with his holy nation. Now it extends to the entire world, to us. And so that's another uh, way for us to look at how God, re Jesus Christ, redeemed us by now dwelling in us, not just a particular land that was to remain undefiled. And so what's the application? We look at this verse, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What does that mean? Is it for us just to read tonight and to think about a little bit? 
I don't think so. I think, I think we really need to leave here tonight with some sort of an application, some sort of a, this is what I need to do next. Knowing what I know about Christ's death on the cross for me to atone for my sins, where do we go from, from here? Where do we go from here? What is our life to look like? I would say that it, it needs to be, our life needs to be this uh, display of holiness. You look at Romans chapter 6, and Romans chapter 5 was where we talked about how the sin of Adam extended to all men. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4, says this is really what you need to take away from this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So with Christ's death, we identify with that. We have died to sin, and therefore it says that we should not live in it any longer. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, in other words, Here's what we need to do. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Not just a changed life, a new life. Kind of like when we are restored into eternity. It's not just a different world. It's not just a different heaven. It's a completely new heaven and earth. So having died to sin... We should live in righteousness. First Peter puts it this way. If I can find it here. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered did not, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. And so, he gave us an example for us to follow, to live in holiness, righteousness. So here's your application. Take everything you think is not fair. Take all your excuses. Take all your hurt, your pride. Take all your selfish ambition. Take all your stubborn choices. Take all your careless apathy. Everything that is burdening you right now, that is, that is distracting you, that you feel is on you, that is consuming your life, Take all of that and quit being like the world. We are to follow the example of Christ and his righteousness because we can thank him that it all extends to you.